This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 8. This is Writing Excuses, the alchemy of creativity. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Kayla. I'm Sandra. And I'm Meg. The alchemy of creativity. How do you translate things from one medium to another and keep the original spark? Um, Meg, you pitched this to us. How do we do that? What are we even talking about? I'm confused. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So this isn't me saying, oh, how do you turn a book into a movie? Uh, because I'm sure we could talk circles around that for hours. But <laughs> on a smaller scale, how do you turn the movie in your head into compelling prose? Or how do you take a script you were handed and turn it into something like comics or storyboards? What are some of the things you have to personally consider when you're going from one form of a story into another? Okay, so I am a very movie-in-my-head person, um, which I think most people have recognized when they read Cici Rios and the Desert of Souls because it's a very visual book. Um, now, one of the challenges that this uh, gives me is that sometimes I get, I get uh, what's the word, micromanagey about everything that's happening. <laughs> um, because in prose, there needs to be room to breathe. You can just say someone crossed the room. You don't have to say exactly how. Uh, and if you try to deliver the exact experience that you're seeing in your head, it will overwhelm people and it will ruin the delivery. Uh, because I'm like, I want to tell you every little twitch of their facial expression because I see it so clearly in my head. But doing that robs the reader of the opportunity both to see it in their own way and it overcrowds, like uh, completely overcrowds the delivery. So that's something I really have to watch. I have to pull myself back. See, I'm, that's fascinating to me because I do not have a movie in my head. <laughs> I have, I have a feel of the scene, or an emotion of the character, and and so and then there's also the sound of the words and the feel mm-hmm. of the words in my head. And so it's all about the words and the feel. And, and the interaction of, of those things for me. And so uh, right there, we've got a difference in alchemy and approaches, <laughs> which I love hearing about because until you said that, if people talk about having movies in their head or how they read a book and see it in their heads. And I just don't, I don't see things. I don't visualize. Um, and, but I feel it. And I feel whether the words feel right or whether the character's emotion is correct on the page or whether my theme is being expressed. So So. you have to translate this more spacious um, emotion into words. How do you go about doing that? And this is where I wish I'd thought that through before the episode. (laughs) Favorite things about about writing excuses (laughs) is having an epiphany in front of the microphone and then not being able to follow up on it, follow up on it because it's still an epiphany. I can't take this apart yet. Let me say this. Let me say this. Um, another way to articulate what we are talking about here 
is the difference between ideas and execution. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where I get my ideas. I'm full of ideas. I never run out of ideas. The movie in my head is always running and it has a soundtrack and it has a rumble track and it's, it, it is always there. How do I execute on that huge library of interconnected and unrelated and sloppy information in order to create a thing that delivers an experience that some part of me will look at and say, ah, yes, that is the experience of that thing, you know, as extracted from the brain. Uh, that is the experience we meant to, we meant to come across. And that is where the, uh, what's the, what's the expression? Uh, you know, that's why they pay me the big bucks. They don't actually pay me the big bucks, but (laughs) having a career as a creative lies not in having good ideas, but being able to do what Meg has called alchemy, you know, this execution. Well, and that's, this is one of those places where you, you have to learn your own creative process. And I really love that we have already two competing processes that are not competing, but different to compare because, um, you know, I can't, my process is going to have to look different than Kayla's process is because we're starting from different places and our brains just work differently. And if I spend a lot of, my craft learning time trying to see a movie in my head so that I can then follow Kayla's process. That is wasted effort. You know, I I don't need to see a movie in my head. I can move with feelings and emotions. Um, So for work, I generally have to translate other people's words into visuals. I'm a storyboard artist for animation, which means that every six weeks, somebody hands me a script and says, turn this into a movie. Um, And so I actually have a couple extra steps than most of my coworkers because I read the script, watch a movie in my head, and I'll, I'll take out a pen or a pencil and I'll mark on the script itself where I'm imagining the camera is cutting. And then I have to write up a detailed list of my shots. Like, okay, medium camera up close foreground is this background is this wide camera these characters doing this and I'll pinpoint like emotional moments and I'll you know star them all this stuff uh I have some friends who can read a script and then instantly just board it finalized they can just go immediately from one to the other but it's like personally I have to translate it into two or three different creative languages before I can get to my final setup Um, because it is a, for me, a process of turning a script into storyboards. Yeah. Um, I, on Twitter just recently, I was reading a thread from, uh, Ursula Vernon talking about how she writes and how her writing process can't actually speed up anymore because she can't sleep often enough because she will like, as she's falling asleep, the characters talk in her head and the story progresses. And then when she gets up in the morning, she just writes down the thing that her brain did while she was falling asleep. And so there's no way for her to write any faster because she can only sleep so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is fascinating to me because Howard does the same thing. He will fall asleep with character dialogue and things going in his head. I can't do that. 
I have to shut my brain off and turn off the stories in order to be able to fall asleep. Because if I let the stories run in my head, they will keep me awake for hours and (laughs) hours and hours. And then I will have anxiety and I will have to get up and write down the thing because I'm afraid I will lose it while I sleep. And see, my method is more, look, characters, if, if you guys aren't going to tell me a nice story at bedtime, um, I'm just going to have anxiety instead because <laughs> I'm going to spin on real stuff and that's boring. So have some fun. Yeah. See, this, My brain is your playground. Go. Don't break anything. This is actually a skill I would like to learn. You know, I was talking about, I don't need to see a movie. I don't need to learn how to see a movie in my head. But that one I, I w- would actually like to learn because it sounds like a nicer way to fall asleep than <laughs> me with my wrestling thoughts every night. So, yeah. <laughs> Emptying okay, so the head is hard. <laughs> Empty so head you've <laughs> thought up a great moment for your story and you can feel the emotions of it. You're so excited to do it. Um, how do you transform idea into thing while keeping what made you excited about it in the first place? Mm, um, This is where rough draft is my friend. Um, You know, just, or, or, oh, I know. Howard has this uh, outlining method he calls 10-year-old boy watches the movie. Like, (laughs) he literally writes down the idea as if a 10-year-old has seen this movie and is telling you about it. Okay, so then they were in a car chase, and then uh, the train comes sideways out of nowhere, and then there's uh, a helicopter. Oh, by the way, there was a helicopter way back in, you know, like literally back in Phil, as we're telling the story, just dump it. And then you can go clean it up. So there's this let the excitement just blah onto the page, and then you can engage your... uh, more critical brain at a later stage seems like one of the ways that people do that say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill we need to take a break for a thing of the week. Yes. All right. Uh, thing of the week this week is a YouTube channel called Every Frame of Painting. It is a series of video essays dissecting how different creatives bring their own vision to the big screen. Um, two of the videos I'd especially love to recommend is how Jackie Chan does comedy and how Edgar Wright edits for jokes. Um, I don't think those are the actual titles of the episode. Uh, so it's Edgar Wright, how to do visual comedy, and Jackie Chan, how to do action comedy. There you go. Those are my two faves. Awesome. Cool. I haven't seen either of those, but they have comedy in them. So it's, now possible, you need to. it's possible they will be <laughs> right up my alley. Yeah. I love Jackie Chan, so I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yes, there we go. I have plans for after we're done recording. <laughs> so but let, let's come back to let's come back to those tools. Um You've got something you're excited about. Um, what do you do to capture that 
excitement, that energy, that um, that elemental spark in the medium in which you execute. Um, one thing I do uh, is I just let myself go write that one. Like I, I know I used to try to hold myself back because I was like, oh, I have this perfect scene idea in my head. <gasps> I can feel it. I can see it. I live it. Uh, and then I was like, oh, but I'm not there in the story yet. I can't write it yet. And by that, <laughs> Write the fun part first. <laughs> <laughs> I just let myself have dessert first. That's probably the best way of putting it. Dessert first writing. <laughs> Where when I love it and I'm excited and I can feel it, I just dive in and I just full on draft it. Drafting is my favorite part of the writing process anyway. Um, so I'll just let myself go ham. And I don't worry if I'm like, yep, I used three paragraphs to write something that should probably be one because I'll do that later. That's what revisions are for. And I do that throughout the book and I jump around and I go back and forth and up and down at, in order to get to all of those dessert places whenever I feel the excitement for it so that the excitement is like, so I've captured that lightning in a bottle feeling. Um, Meanwhile, the guy who's putting green vegetables on the buffet is like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? You got to eat your greens. I just sit <laughs> down with seven different cakes. Hello. <laughs> You've plowed through 11 bowls of pudding. <laughs> that's as many as four tens, and that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this is another interesting place where, where Kayla and I apparently are different, Where because most of my aha moments, most of my lightning in a bottle moments are actually in revisions. Drafting is, is kind of a slog for me, and it is in the revisions that I catch the lightning and put it back. Like, I drafted, and all of the beauty leaked out in my drafting, and now it is just flat on the page, and so in my revision... I go catch the lightning and put it back in. Mm -hmm. um, Howard and I used to, uh, early on in the comic, I remember so many conversations with Howard where he would bring me comics and say, okay, I think this was funny when I wrote it, but now it is all drawn and I think the funny has leaked out. And it's, it's this thing that happens when we become overly familiar with the scene, we lose touch with the thing that is actually still there. We just have said the word so often it makes no sense to us anymore. <laughs> that is me in revisions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm happy that for me, putting the lightning back in is the thing that happens for me in revisions because it makes the revision process exciting um, and interesting. But again, different, different people, different approaches. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> and they all work. They do. Any, well, and any other... Any other tools? Any other concrete bits? Crunchy stuff? I'm trying um, to think. Um, you know, we were talking about influences in a prior episode um, and talking about going back to the well, going back to remember the thing when you feel like you have lost, lost the track or lost the thread, um, stepping back. And describing your thing to somebody new, saying, you know, what is the thing? Oh, what what was it that excited me about this story? And and yeah, saying, that was you part know, of I, the that was part of the process for um, my uh, my story, an honest death in uh, Shadows Beneath. Um, Shadows Beneath is a compilation from Brandon and Mary Robinette and uh, Dan and and I. 
um, of things that we workshopped on the podcast uh, several years ago. And my story, there was this bit that really excited me. And every time I sat down to write the story, that bit kept leaking out. And I realized that the bit was only working if I told it in a different tense, if I changed the way just the POV and the the narrative unfolded. Um, I wanted to shoehorn it into third-person limited uh, POV, and it just didn't work until I pulled it forward into a uh, into a more immediate tense, which is weird, but but that was the way I'd originally, I guess, heard the idea in my head. And it wasn't until I came back to that, that the story flowed, story flowed cleanly. You know, that's a really good point about finding the right framework as well. You know, it's not always just about, just about executing something, but sometimes it's finding the right framework so that the execute, so you can't execute it at all. Um, Like there, uh, like Cece, I wrote two different books um, with Cece. Cece's idea of souls being on the outside of your body and how that would change your world. Um, and I wrote two different books about that and it just didn't work for some reason. I was like, why, why isn't it working? Um, but then I, I, I set it in a completely different place. I gave the main character really specific motivation of trying to so- save her sister. And then I decided, yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a shonen anime tournament. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this like a battle to the death Pokemon style, like somewhere between Pokemon and a shonen battle. And that actually created so many more like and and first person instead of third person. And like all of those things amalgamizing together uh, into one thing ended up being the framework where that kind of a story could shine because it put into question, you know, the stuff that we joke about with Pokemon is that is that like legal? You're making animals fight against each other, you know? <laughs> um, but in this world, it's creators and their people, which is what I wanted to explore about, like, how does it affect other people's souls? Like on an emotional theme level, that was the thing I was most interested in exploring. And I didn't have a world previously um, or uh, an emotionally intimate enough voice because it was third person. First person really brought that out. Uh, to give that the justice that I wanted to, the thing that made me want to write it. Yep. If you want to catch lightning in a bottle, the bottle needs to be shaped right to catch the lightning. Yeah. You know? And and so if you can go back and remember what your lightning was, what the spark was that drew you to this story or this character or this location, and figure out, okay, what else do I need to change around the thing? so that it's it can live here without being squelched. I am now picturing you know 20,000 writing excuses listeners all out on assorted hilltops in thunderstorms <laughs> with huge arrays of bottles holding them up saying this one's round please. <laughs> Here's a square one please. All they need is Robert De Niro as a pirate captain on an airship to go catch the lightning. Oh, <laughs> All right, that that Darkest. might be a good a good mental picture to wrap up on because yes. his his portrayal of that lightning pirate in Stardust brought me such joy. Oh, so much joy! Such joy! So lightning memorable. in a bottle, indeed. Okay, yes. do we have homework this week? We do have homework, and it's practicing turning an idea from one form into another. 
Uh, this week, you're going to choose a scene from a movie you love and write it up in a novelization style. Ooh. That is much better advice than standing on a hilltop during a thunderstorm <laughs> with a collection of glassware around you. <laughs> so, uh, fair listeners, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Your hosts for this episode were Howard Taylor, Kayla Rivera, Sandra Taylor, and Megan Lloyd. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. The liner notes and transcripts for this episode are available at writingexcuses.com. To learn more about us, visit patreon.com slash writingexcuses. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 